welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Brian, I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. My my co-leader here is John. And the topic we are sharing on is joking about sex and flirting. Get excited. Please turn off any electronics and please do not record any of this session as it will be recorded by uh, by Lee. In the spirit of the fifth tradition to carry the message, the session is recorded. The recorder will not be turned off during the session. If you do not, do not want to be recorded but need to share, we encourage you to attend another non-recorded meeting. Please do not touch the recording equipment. If you want to share, come up to the front and sit next to us to use the microphone. Please leave the microphone on the table and don't touch it because it makes noise on the recording. Thank you. Let's begin with a moment of silence for all those still suffering or unable to attend a meeting, followed by the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I will not mine be done. Again, our topic is joking about sex and flirting. We will share for five or six minutes each and uh, about how this topic applies in our lives. Then we will open up the meeting for all of you to share. You will each have, I'm guessing, two minutes to share um, before we call time. Yep. Two minutes? Two minutes. Okay, great. So you'll, you'll record? I'll do the timer. Okay, I'll open up. Brian, grateful recovering sexaholic. Hey, Brian. Uh, joking about sex and flirting. So... Um, what to say? Uh, flirting, I'm not really doing much of that. Just, <laughs> if I could, maybe I would be, I don't know. Um, so joking about sex, and, uh, I guess what I'll talk about for a few minutes for myself is, um, healthy sexuality, which, ironically for me, I'm not in any sexual relationships, holding by the essay definition, I'm not married, I'm single. And, um... Yeah, for me, uh, before I came into program, I was just like, I would, I would never make a sex joke. It's like way too dirty, you know, or I would be way too off-putting. I was just terrified to make any joke about sex, to say anything remotely inappropriate. Um, and then obviously I would be acting out. But, um, in recovery really began with fellows in the program. I just became much more comfortable joking around about my addiction, the things that I used to do, the things that I used to masturbate to. Um, not too much, but it was just like, at first, because my sponsor did that, and I was like, what? What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you making a joke about what you did? And then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start doing this. It, it wasn't like such a conscious thing, but I'm like, you know what? I need to stop taking this way too seriously. I need to start breaking this shame because um, I've, I had so much shame about the things that I did. And... Um, 
so much shame about the things that I didn't even do sexually. I was just so ashamed that most of my acting I was with myself. And uh, sort of breaking that ice and just fellows in program, I would joke around with them about what I had done was huge for me. Um, and, uh, yeah, as time has gone on, um, you know, I'm, I've even become looser about words, certain words that I use and the way that I talk in some, in, obviously I'm very conscious about the way that I do it, but once again, it's, I think it's different for every person, but for me, since I was just so buried in shame and this was such a isolated disease for me, this is, for me, um, you know, I, I never thought I would have sex in my life. I thought that there's something that's so wrong with me that how could a woman ever want to be with me? And for me to be able to break that, almost like break that silence by coming into these rooms, uh, for me talking about sex, whether it's in a serious way, whether it's in a joking way, is for me is a pretty healthy thing. And um, I, and I, I, um, I may be in the minority who believes in this, but... Um, yeah, for me, um, as I've gotten more sobriety and I've built up a foundation on sobriety and recovery and um, take this program quite seriously, you know, it's time for me to, I would almost use the word experiment, to see what is healthy sexuality for me. Um, you know, can I kiss a girl? Can I, um, you know, am I allowed to watch movies that are that are things that I wouldn't have watched in the past? Um and for me, I'm saying because it was just such a shameful thing, like to like, oh no, I watched some music video that was a little inappropriate. Like, oh my god, what am I going to do? And I would think about it for a day. Like, what am I going to do? Am I going to tell anybody? Am I not? And just, I needed to get out of that thought process. I needed to get out of my head so badly. Um, and then if it's something that's bad, I'll usually pay the price a little bit. I'll feel lust the next day, and, and then I'll stop doing it. I'll be honest, and I'll, I'll be, be able to be honest with myself, and I'll stop doing it. So for me, um, you know, I'm, I'm big into not thinking in black and white that, you know, yes, the essay definition is black and white, and that's non-negotiable uh, for me. But what is negotiable is what's my relationship to healthy intimacy? What's my relationship to my own sexuality? And just for recently, I started dancing for me as a form of sexuality. And uh, some <laughs> I'm taking this way too far, but... Um, and like there was, there's a bunch of attractive girls in the dance class. And in the past, I never would have gone to a dance class. Just the main reason being that there's attractive girls there. But um, and one of the one thing my sponsor told me is that, like, should I be doing something like this? And he said that is there some lust when you're there? And I said, yeah, there is some lust when I'm there. But my main motivation is not lust. My main motivation is because it's a form of expression for me. I'm able to get out of my head in a in a really amazing way. Um, I feel alive, I feel connected to my higher power. That's my main motivation. There's going to be some lust, and if I could, you know, and if I could learn to m not make that my focus, then that's something that I can do. Same thing with me going to the beach. I used to not go to the beach, and now I go to the beach, and also main motivation is not lust, but there is some lust there. Um, sometimes, very often there isn't. So, um, you know, I would say this is a, you know, a small gift in recovery that I never thought that I would be able to test these waters and try out new things. Um, but ironically, Sexaholics Anonymous does not say no sex, you know, extremely limited. You know, it, I don't like looking at it like that. And so for me, um, joking about sex, 
and healthy sexuality is very important to my recovery, breaking the shame, um, breaking my fear of um, of women. And uh, yeah, that's what I have to share. Thanks. All right, doing my best to respect Lee's direction here with the microphone. <clears throat> All right, good morning, everyone. I'm John. I'm a sexaholic. Um, from Chicago, uh, and in Chicago, um, we do what's called a short share. We qualify. It's basically 15 seconds of the forms of acting out in our sobriety date. And for me, that means I'm powerless over lust, and my acting out has taken the form of compulsive masturbation using fantasy, euphoric recall, and internet pornography. I've dated women for sex, including married women, used women as objects, and it's a loss of my sobriety to Google women, and I'm gratefully sober since February 1st of 2004. Um... And, uh, yeah, I got a, an email from Wally uh, saying, hey, you want to share this session? And uh, I sent him an email back saying, jokes, sexual jokes and flirting, what's that session supposed to be about? <laughs> and so he sent me a reply and gave me some guidance. And I said, okay, I think I, I, can, uh, I can work with that. Um, and, uh, you know, I... I um, I figured I would start with some of the literature because um, this, this this seems so odd to me because it's not your usual conference topic. But I think what the program committee is trying to do with this is to explore areas that usually don't get explored um, and and maybe don't get addressed uh, very directly by the fellowship. So um, so I, I went through the white book a bunch and I was like, gosh, you know, there's not not a lot here on jokes and what's the deal? So. Uh, I, but I did find a couple of things. Um, uh, and on page 71, uh, it's, uh, it goes, um, we also begin to detect some of our more subtle rationalizations. I'm in the neighborhood. I'll just go by and say, hi. I'll call the old relationship and tell him I'm in the program. I'll just take a glance to see if it's something I shouldn't be looking at. We may even find ourselves cruising the old haunts or flirting. Don't you guys read Step Zero? Yeah. For no special reason, of course. That was a joke, by the way. Um, uh, We read Step Zero in our meetings when we have a newcomer. Um, And so I thought, hmm, that's interesting. Flirting is listed under this discussion of our more subtle rationalizations for lust. Um. I looked at Roy's story in the beginning, his personal story, and he says, um, and this is kind of a stretch, I'll admit, but uh, uh, this spoke to me. In high school, some of us would work half a day in the aircraft industry, then go to school the rest of the day. I remember bucking rivets on bombers where the back alley talk did more to feed my lust than pictures ever did. So he doesn't say whether there were jokes involved, but... I can only imagine that humor was part of part of that discussion. I mean, that that just maybe my imagination. I guess the other part um, that spoke to me is um, there's a section uh, on page 64 under the heading "We Stop," and it says we stop feeding lust. We get rid of all the materials and other triggers under our control. We stop feeding lust through the eyes, the fantasy, and the memory. We stop relishing the language of lust. And for me, at least, making sexual jokes is part of the language of lust. You know, before I, oh, I forgot to stop my timer. Before I came in the program, uh, 
my primary form of acting out was using women. Uh, masturbation was what I did when there weren't women to use and even while there were women to use, but, but mostly what I did was try to uh, seduce women and use them uh, as an object. So, and to that end, I did a lot of flirting. Um, pretty shamelessly, actually. I, uh, I remember I was at a professional conference, uh, and, and there was a woman who I noticed, uh, and she noticed me, and it was clear that uh, uh, there was a lustful attraction there. Uh, and over the span of maybe four or five hours at different sessions at that conference, including at a bar uh, where we were drinking, uh, that the flirting led to the crossing of physical boundaries, touching her in places that it's not appropriate to touch, and she doing the same to me. And um, we ended up acting out in her hotel room later on that evening. Uh, and this was a married woman. So, uh, you know, for me, it, the <laughs> that's, that's, that's where flirting used to take me. That's what I used to do. Um, I really wanted people to like me because I, I always felt like I was lower than whale dung on the bottom of the ocean. Uh, and I thought one of the ways people would like me is if I was funny. So if I was sort of the life of the party and could crack some jokes, especially the jokes that, that seemed to be the edgier, the better. Uh, and so making jokes that I could I'm trying to think of a good example. No, no good example comes to me, but I, I, I just, I just feel like the double entendre was my, was stock in trade, you know, because I could always plausibly deny if somebody was offended, therefore not being disliked. But if people loved it, then I could play it up even more. So, uh, it was, it was this, this fuzzy gray, sort of smarmy, slimy area of my life. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm really grateful that, that in the program I don't have to do this anymore. Um, I really appreciate that, that this stuff shows up kind of early in the book. You know, Roy's story, one of the first things you read is, is about uh, the back alley talk and then step zero. I mean, participating in the fellowship of the program, one of the first things we do is we quit doing all this stuff. And even the, little, the, the so-called little things um, like flirting uh, and sexual jokes – I mean, gosh, I can't remember the last time I did a sexual joke. I mean, it just feels, just to think about it, it just feels gross. Um, I've had plenty of opportunity, plenty of opportunity to flirt. Uh, I, I, I started dating maybe about eight years ago. Uh, dating soberly, I finished my ninth step and, and, uh, started to date in a way that I had never done before. Um, and, um, Before that, though, I had uh, I had a different sponsor, and he said you could date after a year of sobriety. And so I went out with this woman, uh, and looking back on it, um, we were at a, a table at a restaurant, and she dropped something on the floor. I can't remember what it was, but, you know, being the gentleman, I reached down to pick up whatever it is to give it to her. But when unless you stick your head under the table, you can't really see what you're going to be looking for. And my hand brushed up against her foot. 
uh, and uh, she took that as some kind of a signal and, and subtly ratcheted up the, the how do I want to say this? It, it ended up being, it, it falls under the heading of flirting, but it was, it was almost like subtle, low-level teasing. And then I was like, oh, okay, this, this seems like it's going all right. And so I responded, and we ended up escalating. You know, <laughs> if you take the baseball bat and you see who's going to be in the field first, and you just go, you, you put your hands up the bat, and whoever puts their, their palm over the, the butt of the bat is, is, gets to decide. That's kind of what it was like. Except for me that night, it was about the level of lust increasing with each passing moment. Um, and that's really, for me, that's where flirting got me. And I, I, I told this story in other, other sessions, but uh, I'd, we left. The, so we sat next to each other in the movie theater, and she was kind of snuggling up against me. This is like our first date or something, and it was already getting physical. It's just a total nightmare. Uh, and then... Um, you know, I, I was walking her back to her car, and I don't know what happened or why, but she just turned around and planted a big kiss on my lips, and that was that was a huge trigger for me. I immediately got aroused, and basically I saw it as an invitation to let's go have sex, which it clearly wasn't, and she made that abundantly clear. Uh, but I was I would have had sex with her that night. I would have thrown my sobriety away, and I had a couple of years of sobriety by that time. So... Um, so for me, I, I just don't do that anymore. And when I went back to dating after I did my night step, um, I think I, 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 I think in total uh, over the years, I've dated maybe 50 or 60 women, gone out on dates with uh, 50 or 60 women. Uh, and flirting hasn't been a part of it. Uh, for me, dating has become some more of um, getting to know somebody better. I think, unfortunately, the term is freighted with all kinds of baggage. Uh, and dating really for me means just getting to know somebody better. And, and, um, there's a guy in our, well, I don't want to turn this into a dating talk, but that's kind of, that's kind of how it worked out for me because otherwise I have no opportunity to do the flirting. And then if there are guys in a group, you know, um, honestly, they're, they're the guys I used to hang out with that I just don't hang out with anymore because they relish the language of lust and that's part of what they do. And, and, and it was a little painful, but, um, I just, uh, some of them I don't hang out with anymore. Professionally, there are guys that I used to engage in the language of lust with, you know, make sexual jokes, but I just don't make sexual jokes with them anymore. And they have noticed the difference. Um, I'm getting married in September and I'm inviting a couple of these guys to my wedding. And these are guys that, uh, I've known for a long time. They've known me before I got sober. They don't know what happened, but they know I'm a different guy. Uh, and they treat me differently than they did when I was acting out because, you know, I've worked the steps and I've grown up. And so, uh, so a couple of those guys are getting invitations to my wedding. Other guys that are still kind of stuck in that place that I was, at least in terms of the, 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 uh, sexual jokes, they're not getting the invite and that's fine. I'm okay with that. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I really appreciate, you know, gosh, I, I learn new stuff every time I get asked to chair one of these things because it forces me to go look at the literature in ways I never have before. But I really appreciate Roy just identifying this stuff early and putting it in step zero. It's like, okay, you know, any form of lust is not, is not good. It's not healthy. And that's going back to the problem rather than sticking with the solution. Um, 
and I, I, uh, I really am grateful that, that he's, he's given some good direction here. So um, I think my time's up, and with that, I'll pass. Yeah, just a quick omission over here, Brian Sexaholic. Um, yeah, I'm also in dating. I don't flirt early on at all. I just also just get to know the person. Don't try to impress the other person um, until there's an emotional connection. Then I could flirt. Um, so I just wanted to include that. Um, so now it is your turn to share. You have the opportunity to share with the group. Please focus on the topic of the meeting, joking about sex and flirting. Like sharing in any essay meeting, please limit your sharing to the topic, avoiding explicit description or distracting comments, and focusing on the solution rather than the problem. Please do not share anything that legally would have to be reported to the authorities. Please line up to our left. So we don't have to wait for each person to come up. Please speak loud enough for all of us to hear in the microphone. I guess please speak loud enough for the microphone to record your response. And you will each have two minutes to share. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, John. My name is Rick, uh, sexaholic, powerless over lust. Hi, everybody. I've uh, been sober since July 1st, 2017. And uh, just a quick note, I was on the phone with my wife. She's not here with me today. And uh, I was reading off the list of meetings to go to. She chose this one. <laughs> she says, you need to go to that one. I knew I needed to come here. Um, you know, I think the underlying problem for me when it came to joking and flirting about sex started when I was a you know young boy felt rejected by my dad um, a lot of rejection and my my mother tried to fill that void for me and I remember being at you know when I was a little kid being at gatherings and always would leave where the guys were and the kids and try to make the women laugh you know, I wanted to be the, the funny guy, the jokester. And, you know, that carried on into uh, my adult life and into my addiction. I can even remember before, um, before sobriety at work, they'd call me Rick T. Friendly, Rick Too Friendly, <laughs> you know, wanting to joke around, and especially with women. I felt always more comfortable with women and not with men. I don't know if it was the, you know, the, manpower, the adrenaline, the competition, or whatever it was. But, um, you know, from small on, I felt that way. Uh, and today, my, you know, my wife is really a barometer for me when it comes to this. Um, you know, like, we'd go through uh, checkout lines, and, uh, you know, I'd we'd go through the checkout and if it was a woman, I'd start joking right away and she'd feel uncomfortable with that. And years ago, she never told me, Oh, did I run out of time? I'm sorry. Anyways, I guess I'll end in saying that my wife is a good barometer before I, um, you know, before I get into that situation, I kind of ask myself, would my wife approve of what I'm saying? Would my wife think, this was important for me to talk to this person or why am I doing this to get attention uh, for myself 
And uh, so anyways, that's been a, a big help to me, just uh, thinking about my wife and asking if she'd approve of what I'm doing right now. Thanks. Thanks, Uh, Phil from Baltimore, sexaholic. Hey, Phil. You know, um, when I saw this topic, um, I was like, instantly I was like, I need to go to this one. Um, not because I want to learn how to do this healthily, but because for some very strange reason, it, it, the concept of joking about sex and, and flirting has an unnatural repulsive quality to me. You know, um, and I'm not entirely sure why. So um, I'm grateful for uh, you to John and Brian for the way you you presented a uh, presented it. Having there's a there's healthy exploration and then there's dangers as well, you know. So um, I, I want to learn how to have a a healthy outlook on on sexuality because you know going through the going through the white book, you know Roy doesn't talk about oh sex is the problem. It's lust. So you know if if lust is the problem, then there clearly is some form of healthy sexuality. So I want to explore that. Um, I want to know, you know, why do I have such a revulsion to it? Um, is there a way that I can explore it in a healthy way? And, uh, and I'm just, just grateful to have this opportunity to, to go through a topic like this and where we can discuss it in a way that isn't triggering to anybody, but that we can still try to understand, you know, why uh, we need to explore the healthy aspect and why we also need to be wary of certain dangers. So um, I just, just want to say I'm very grateful for that. So thanks for letting me share. My name is Nick. I'm a sexaholic from Milwaukee. So this idea of joking about uh, sex and flirting um, brought to mind to me um, after the uh, after the shares this idea of flirting seems to be the word that came to mind was manipulation. Um, and I mean, that just came through really strongly today in that, uh, no matter how quote unquote innocent, um, it might be, I think I could really identify with what, uh, with what both, uh, leaders had to say, John and Brian on, I'm looking to, um, because I don't feel good enough about myself. I'm looking to find worth and value in that other woman. And then once I get that, and it's not a lot, but once I get that, then, um, then I think I'm worthy. Um, because yeah, they think I'm funny. They think I'm humorous. Um, so that just reinforces, you know, that old sexaholic belief that, you know, I need everybody to love me all the time. Um, and so when I'm manipulating, I'm not in reality. Um, and I'm so grateful that I have now my sponsors and my other brothers and sisters that can, that can, uh, show me that I don't need to do that. And I find that, that it's, it's ramping up just a little bit, you know, not, uh, you know, at work with some of my coworkers because I work primarily with females and, um, uh, I just have to be careful of that um, as well. Um, I work in the helping profession, and um, I do have to be very careful because, I mean, some of my coworkers and especially my patients are vulnerable. And um, 
I think the aspect of humility is uh, something that's really, uh, you know, at the forefront of this. So um, continue to ask God for uh, willingness and uh, with that, I'll pass. River Sexaholic, sober since August 26, 2015. Hi. I am very immature when it comes to this topic. Um, I was raised in a family uh, where there was a lot of um, sexual innuendo and uh, sexual joking around children, telling children dirty jokes and thinking that was funny and and that carried on throughout my life. I uh, became a sexaholic very, very early. I never went through the normal um, puberty stages of hand-holding, dating, those things. I jumped right into sexaholism. Um, and so as a, how old am I now, 55-year-old woman, I still feel 12. Um, and so I don't know how to interact with other people yet very uh, maturely. And I'm also a people pleaser. Um, and so it, it just so easily blends into, am I being friendly or is this flirting? And I don't have a good barometer on that. don't have a wife or husband to tell me. But I do have a sponsor. Um, handily, my essay sponsor lives in Holland, so she doesn't get to see me interacting. <laughs> But my AA sponsor gets to um, come up to me after the meetings and say, you know, that probably is on the edge of flirting. I'm like, it, it really hurts my feelings when she tells me this because how how do I interact with people without sexualizing the situation? Um, and I am very young in this program. So I, I know that the program works. I am so much better about this than I used to be. I had a child who called me out on it before I got sober. Um, and it's really embarrassing to look back on that, you know, to see your eight-year-old daughter looking at you saying, mommy, why are you flirting with all those young men? I'm like, I'm just being friendly, honey. This is how you, inter-, you know, so I just, anyway. I wanted to focus on the solution, but I didn't do a very good job of that. So anyway, I'll let you guys do that. I'll pass. Hello, group. I'm John Sexatic uh, from Baltimore. been sexually sober since 2003. Nice being here. Um, just a couple thoughts I had. Uh, when you mentioned you'd look around the room, it's like the antenna would go up, and I'm looking for somebody to send me a signal back. You know, that... that that was, uh, you know, you can almost spot somebody. Um, I, uh, just things that uh, I do is uh, whenever I go to a restaurant with my wife, I'm always facing the wall. And uh, that works for me. Then I have less of a chance to flirt. Um, I always use flirting as a way of, uh, I, actually there's a term, it's called grooming whereby you start saying these things and hopefully when you get to the end, then. Uh, but I don't uh, I do not do that anymore. I made a comment you know, one time I was walking down the street and there was uh, two women coming towards me and one was, uh, let's say, one from wearing a Virginia shirt and another one was wearing a North Carolina shirt and I just popped out and said, you two shouldn't be walking together down the street. You know, different schools. So uh, I had a tendency just to not being aware. Uh, 
of what I was uh, doing. Um, the other thing I try to remember is uh, when I'm interacting with somebody, it, are they going to be better off at the end of the day with me in their life? And if I'm doing something to their detriment, then uh, I don't do it. And uh, so it's basically for me, it's just it's hard to uh, flirt and joke if you keep your mouth shut. So I just stand there and uh, enjoy the moment. So thanks for letting me share. Um, Michelle Sexaholic have been sober since October 23rd of last year. Um, please connect with me and make me whole. That was, um, that was flirting in a nutshell for me. Um, I was the one that could make anything into a, into sexual, um, into a sexual conversation. Um, somebody would be talking about shampoo and I'd be like, let's take a shower. And I mean, just that type of thing. Um, that was my way of searching for that unrealistic connection with anybody. I would cross lines. Um, and most of the people that I would cross those lines with, of course, um, most likely addicts themselves would, um, latch onto that. Um, since I've been sober, flirting scares the crap out of me. Uh, making any type of connection with any man scares the crap out of me. Um, I used to um, look at every person in every car that would drive by to see if we'd make that eye contact. Um, and now um, I say the serenity prayer and just keep on driving. Um, and that has helped me through this program to realize <clears throat> part of it is fear. I do not want to go back into that trap of getting into those conversations um, where I could say one thing and it be taken uh, in a sexual manner um, and then I'll just roll with it. I'm fearful of drawing a line. Um, but this program has shown me that I can live without um, the unreal connections. Um, so I just keep coming back. That's all I have. I'm Jeff. I'm a sexaholic from Baltimore. Uh, by the grace of God, I've been sober since October 24th, 2015. And, uh, you know, much like other folks shared, I used to make sexual jokes all the time. And that was a way of, you know, figuring out which woman in the room is going to be responsive to that. And, uh, so now I work in an environment and I have worked in a couple places where, you know, people are making sexual jokes and, uh, it kind of makes me uncomfortable. And, you know, one of the biggest gifts of my recovery has been restraint of tongue. And that's definitely a work in progress because sometimes I'll just jump right in there. I can't help myself. And, um, but I guess I count the victories all the times that I don't say something that'll get me in trouble. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, funnily enough, I got, well, it's not funny that I got arrested for indecent exposure in 2015, but since I got arrested, I've had the opportunity to share that with some people in my Bible study group, just, you know, being rigorously honest in other places and sharing my story about how God's, you know, redeemed me. And um, I've had a couple of women ask me, what's indecent exposure? And I just did not take the bait. 
But um, later when I'm talking to my accountability partner, Chris, I definitely said something like, well, let me show you. Um, so just for me, like not pouncing on a good opportunity to make a sexual joke is um, is a big victory for me and a blessing. And um, with respect to flirting, you know, I, I used to flirt incessantly and I don't know what a normal healthy interaction with is like with a woman. And I'm learning that. But, you know, as a single sexaholic, I would like to, you know, get married someday and do regular people's stuff. And um, I think that there's probably some degree of, you know, sexual attraction, energy or chemistry that might border flirtation that would be appropriate for me. But I don't know where that line is. So uh, I guess the good news is I get to talk to people in recovery about it every day. And that's one of the things I'm chatting with folks about all the time. And, uh, you know, when I shared my first step on December 19th of 2015, this guy, Bill, he said, uh, you know, be careful when you're being charming. So, um, anyway, thanks for letting me share. My name is Isaac. I'm a very grateful recovering sex addict. God has given, thank you. God has given me the gift of sobriety for uh, over seven years. I'm grateful for every single one of those days. It's a it's a really good topic. It just brings me back to my early days in my in the program and my sponsor telling me uh, he doesn't initiate any contact with a strange woman at all, any conversation, you know, especially in, in you know when he's married and I, and I was married at the time too. Um, for me, joking about sex was, I was always uncomfortable with that, even in my sex addiction, believe it or not. I know last week I went to my brother's house and he was talking with his friend about who they dated in school and all that. And my brother said the only one he was interested in was this girl with big breasts. And I, I right away just got up and walked to the other side of the pool. The sun was shining on that side also, so it made it easy. But uh, I was never comfortable with that stuff. So that's never been a weakness. But flirting... You know, I'm a runner, and I see a woman, I'd probably give her a bigger smile while running than I would a guy. And I, and I always wonder if I can get to the point where I can treat a guy the same as a girl. I don't know if I could ever get to that point. I don't know if that's an ideal that's unreachable for any one of us or anything, but I definitely don't smile as much to, towards a, a guy than I, than I would as a girl, whether you're in an elevator, opening a door, anything at all. And I, I that, that, that's always on my mind, actually. Um, yeah, you're being flirting, flirting, or you're being friendly, you know. I know I have someone I speak to, he, he says he knows all styles of shoes, because all he does is look down, whether it's in a restaurant or anywhere else. That doesn't work for me. That's not in the context of life. I don't think that's God's plan for me. But it can go to that extreme where if you, you know, you know, if you, if you can't handle it, you just, you just have to look down and not look at someone's eyes. I do know flirting is dangerous. I realize that about, about a month ago, I went to the Bahamas with my daughter, and I was on the beach myself, and I saw a girl trying to put lotion on her back. She was with her friend, and how, you know, how do you put lotion on your back? And I'll finish up real quick. Um, you know, I went over to her and said, hey, you need help with that, you know, and that was clear lust. So, and that could have led to some dangerous stuff. So, I'm glad it didn't, but it could have. Thanks for letting me share. Hi, my name is Ben. I'm a sexaholic. Um, yeah, uh, sexual joking for me, it's always made me super uncomfortable um, since I was a little kid. Um, in my disease, sometimes stuff will come out. Sometimes even in recovery, it's been like, oh, I should not have started on that slight train of thought because then my friends will pick it up. 
Um, when it comes to flirting, uh, people are talking about flirting versus friendly. For me, I would say flirting versus playful, like especially in college, you know, something like just poking someone for fun, um, you know, other gender, like that was something that would happen. Um, and sort of like things like that for me, um, it's often very confusing exactly where the line is. And I have to be, make sure I don't try and solve the answer for everyone of all time. Um, cause I really want to, so I can judge other people. Um, but for me, there are definitely times where even if I'm not trying to groom someone, which is very rarely has been part of my behavior, but there are times where I definitely was, even when I'm not doing that, I am, I am looking for affection to make me feel better. And that's really why I'm doing it. Um, yeah. Uh, just thinking back to something, uh, a few months ago, a female friend of mine, like if I'm honest, like I knew she enjoyed hanging out with me as well, but really my motivation was I wanted affection cause I was feeling lousy. Um, and that's that taking instead of giving, which is something my sponsor is reminded me of as being sort of the big metric for whether or not it's lust. Um, so thanks. Uh, my name is John. I'm a sexaholic. This is scary, but I'll press on. Uh, I chose this because both flirting and joking were uh, very, you know, strong in my in my addiction. Um, when I was four years old, my dad walked out, and I had a very deep desire to have him love me, and he didn't. And I idolized my friends' dads. Uh, when I got a little bit older, uh, there was a gay man in our town who would compliment me. It was embarrassing to me, but it felt really good. It felt, you know, I was getting this male affirmation. So as I got a little bit older, I would, at times when I identified a man as gay, I would basically use him to flirt with him so I could get what I needed, you know, those compliments or whatever. So that, that's been, and that, and that crossed lines. And so, uh, you know, I have to be, I know that's a boundary for me that I have to be very careful with. Uh, as far as the joking, um, I do have a quick wit, but unfortunately I, like some other people have shared, there are so many things that, that's are sexual to me. Innocent words, I can very easily <laughs> make a sexual joke out of. So, uh, you know, that's, that is a boundary that I've really had to scale back and, uh, do have a group of friends that sometimes they can be crude, but just, just not going there. Oftentimes I was initiator. So I have been not going there. Not even though that was a great line I could have used. I just got to not do it. Of course, the easy one to go to that, you know, that's what she said. You could almost use that anytime, but I just got to not use that. So thanks for letting me share. One more share after this, if anyone has a burning desire. I'm Kent. I'm a grateful recovered sexaholic. Nature of my addiction is using and abusing boys and men physically, emotionally, and spiritually from the age of eight until I was 53 and got into the program of recovery and uh, got sober, found recovery, and uh, accepted a power greater than myself. Appreciate the topic and appreciate the readings and one of the things that came to mind for me in the readings was back there in the um, 18-wheeler. And <clears throat> in the 18-wheeler, they were talking about how I overcome my obsession with lust, and number two is stop feeding the obsession. And what caught me when I was early in the program was I had to stop feeding my lust by looking around in my use of television, movies, and music, and by using and listening to the language of lust. And 
That just hit me because, as was mentioned earlier, um, I used words, the English language is so powerful with the double entendres, and there we are with the French word describing how powerful it is. Uh, these double entendres, it's easy to manipulate people's thoughts or to get them to say, is that what he meant? What did he really mean? And I liked that. It's, it's predatory behavior. And uh, when I named it that, when I recognized just how wrong that is, it became a, a number one priority of mine to let go of that behavior. And um, there are times where I just bite my tongue, as was shared earlier. It's like, mm, such a perfect opportunity. And no, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for reminding me that I'm still a sexaholic. Thanks for letting me share. Uh, hi, I'm Levi, sexaholic from Kearney, Nebraska. Grateful to be sober since July 20th of last year. Um, the reason I need to share is that I, uh, I mean, I, I, uh, I think I'm a pretty funny guy, so um, I uh, like to make a lot of jokes, uh, even in even in harmless ways. You know, my wife will notice, will point out that I'll make a joke, and my my voice will get a little bit louder, and I'll kind of look around to see who, who noticed. Um, you know, if we're in the restaurant, and uh, she'll, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a sexual joke for me to kind of try to get filled up a little bit by it. Um, and then, uh, as far as flirtation. Um, especially when I'm feeling like I'm not connecting with my wife, um, which is really about me not connecting with myself or with God. Um, I, uh, you know, I would use flirtation to feel lusted after, um, you know, to, uh, to trigger lust in other people, um, you know, all the way up to, you know, suggestive texting and things like that. Um, so that, uh, with my coworkers, and it's kind of funny, that's part of what brought me to this program is that I was sitting in a therapist's office and I was like, you know, talking about my workplace stress. And I was like, you don't think that my sexting with my coworkers is, is increasing my workplace stress to you? And she's like, yeah, you need to stop that shit right now. Um, so, um, <laughs> pretty much that's what she said. So, uh, that's, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, because that's part of what got me to the program and I'm so grateful to be sober. And so that's all I got. All right. Anything you have heard at this meeting is strictly the opinion of the individual participant. Let's all stand and say the uh, third step prayer. It's printed on the back of your schedule. Self, that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those that I would help. Thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. Keep coming back. It works if you work it and you work it. Yeah, it was good. We both said very different things, you know? I know. It opened up the... It's good. It, we'll, we'll, we cover more territory. There's no point in saying the same thing. No. Yeah. <laughs> no. We get more sex on Alex. Thanks, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
That's me. Great stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I was trying to, I didn't have internet access, but I was trying to look up, you know, the definition of uh, manipulation, what that actually means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, Bill. Good job, man. So you just got pulled in because addicts tend to attract addicts. You know, for me, I found that. I necessarily well, want to say it here, but I, I probably could have, you know, but she can't have to why can't I talk into myself? There's a, it's hard to let go of some of this stuff. And then it's like, well, then what do I have? I mean, you heard some of these guys talk about, I don't know anything. Maybe God was protecting It's like, well, that's what you I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.